Stadium. Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all the graces and blessings. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of your mother. We thank you especially for this day, Lord, for Our Lady of Guadalupe, that marvellous miracle that happened so many years ago, but still never ceases to amaze us. You call us to your mother. You call us to take her as our mother just as you did. You reassure us through all these apparitions that indeed Mary is our mother. She is there and she calls us to holiness, to know and to love you more and more. We thank you, Jesus, and we praise you. We glorify your holy name. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today we want to look at another Marian apparition. Normally when we think of Marian apparitions, we think of Europe, because there's just been so many amazing appearances of Our Lady there in the last hundreds of years. But there's one really major Marian shrine that occurred back in the 16th century, and that was in Mexico. And it's one of the biggest Marian shrines in the world today. In 1519, the Spaniard Cortes disembarked in Mexico and arrived with 500 soldiers and proceeded to conquer the country for Spain. And then a little later, in 1524, 12 Franciscans arrived to Mexico and these missionaries quickly integrated into the population. They had a very strong goodness about them that perhaps was a strong contrast with the harshness of their own Aztecs priests and of that of some of the conquistadors. They built churches and began to bring people into the church and introduce Christianity to the Indians of Mexico. But the Indians were reluctant to accept Christianity, mainly because they had to abandon the practice of polygamy. But amongst those first to receive baptism and enter the church were a couple known from their now Christian names as Juan Diego and Maria Lucia. Not long afterwards, in 1529, Juan Diego's wife Maria died. And so he withdrew to just outside Mexico City to live with his uncle, Juan Berdanido, who had also become a Christian. And then on the 9th of December, 1531, was a Saturday, 
Juan Diego was heading for Mass, as he did every Saturday morning, and he was walking to the Franciscan Fathers' Church, which was close to Mexico City. And when he walked past Tepeyac Hill, suddenly he heard a gentle and resounding song that seemed to come from a great multitude of birds. So he looked up, and at the top of the hill, he saw this white and radiant cloud. He looked around him and was kind of wondering, well, am I dreaming? What is this? And then all of a sudden, the song stopped, and a woman's voice, gentle and graceful, called him, Guanito. So he quickly climbed the hill and found himself in the presence of a very beautiful young woman, who he says, garments shone like the sun. So Our Lady spoke to him in his native language, and she said to him, Guanito, my son, where are you going? And Juan Diego answered, Noble lady, my queen, I am going to Mass in Mexico City to hear the divine things that the priest teaches us there. And Our Lady said to him, I want you to know for certain, my dear son, I want you to know for certain, my dear son, that I am the perfect and always Virgin Mary, Mother of the true God, from whom all life comes, the Lord of all things, Creator of heaven and earth. I greatly desire that a church be built in my honour, in which I will show my love, compassion and protection. I am your Mother, full of mercy and love for you, and for all those who love me, trust in me and have recourse to me. I will hear their complaints and I will comfort their affliction and their sufferings, so that I might show all my love. Go now to the bishop in Mexico City and tell him that I am sending you to make known to him the great desire I have to see a church dedicated to me built here. Now before we go on, I should just clarify that this site of Tepeyac Hill was a place of human sacrifice. The Aztec people lived in this darkness of idolatry and they used to offer human sacrifices to one of the Aztec gods who was originally considered the god of fertility but over time had transformed into this ferocious god. This god was a symbol of the sun who was in continuous battle with the moon and the stars and was believed to be in need of human blood to restore his strength. And they thought that if he died, life would be extinguished. There was this continual human sacrifice being offered. So this was the background that Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego. Those symbols of that God are important to our story as we get a little further on. So Juan Diego went straight to the bishop. Bishop Zamaraga was a Franciscan and the first bishop of Mexico. He was a pious man and full of zeal and who had a very generous and kind heart towards the Indians. So when Juan Diego came and told him his story, he listened attentively to Juan Diego, but fearing an illusion, he did not put much faith in Juan Diego's story. Towards the evening, Juan Diego started on his way home and at the top again of Tepeyac Hill, he had the pleasant surprise of meeting Our Lady again in an apparition. He told her about his mission, and then he added, 
I beg you to entrust your message to someone else more known and respected, so that the bishop will believe it. I am only a simple Indian, whom you have sent as a messenger to an important person. Therefore, he didn't believe me, and I do not want to greatly disappoint you. And our lady looked at him and smiled and said, My dearest son, you must understand that there are many more noble men to whom I could have entrusted my message, and yet it is because of you that my plan will succeed. Return to the bishop tomorrow. Tell him that it is I myself, the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, who is sending you. So the next morning, Sunday morning, after Mass, Juan Diego went again to the bishop's house. This time the bishop asked him many questions, and then asked for a tangible sign of the truth of the apparition. When Juan Diego went home, the bishop had him discreetly followed by two servants. At Tapayac Bridge, Juan Diego disappeared from their sight, and despite all their searches on the hill and surrounding area, they couldn't find him. So furious, they declared to the bishop that Juan Diego was an imposter who must absolutely not be believed. But during this time, Juan Diego told the beautiful lady who was waiting for him on the hill about his most recent meeting with the bishop. And our lady said to Juan Diego, come back tomorrow morning to see the sign he is asking for. But when Juan Diego got home, he found that his uncle was quite ill. And the next day, he stayed at his bedside to take care of him. But then as his uncle's illness got worse, the uncle asked his nephew to go to look for a priest. Early in the day at dawn, on the 12th of December, was a Tuesday, Juan Diego started on the road to the city. And when he got near to Payac Hill, he was a little embarrassed that he might meet Our Lady again so he decided he'd make a detour round the hill. But of course, Our Lady still appeared to him. And so, very embarrassed, he explained his situation and promised to come back when he had found a priest to administer the last rites to his uncle. And Our Lady said, My dear little one, do not be distressed about your uncle's illness, because he will not die from it. I assure you that he will get well. Go to the top of the hill, pick the flowers that you will see there, and bring them to me. So when Juan Diego went to the top of the hill, he was amazed to see a great number of flowers in bloom. And this was the middle of winter. And these were in fact Castilian roses, which gave off a very sweet fragrance. But really, there shouldn't have been any flowers there, because it was extremely cold, and besides that, the place was too dry for flowers to grow there. But of course, this was the sign to give to the bishop, because these roses were from the area which the bishop came in Spain, and he'd never seen these flowers in Mexico. So Juan Diego gathered the roses, and he unfolded them in his cloak, or sometimes we call it the tilma, and then he went back down the hill. And our lady said to him, my dear son, these flowers are the sign that you are to give the bishop. This will get him to build the church that I have asked of him. So Juan Diego, now very excited, ran to see the bishop. But when he arrived, 
the servants made him wait for hours because they didn't believe him. But he waited patiently. And in the end, the servants got intrigued by what he seemed to be carrying in his tilma. And finally they informed the bishop that Juan Diego was waiting for him. And so even though the bishop had several people with him, he had Juan Diego brought into the room where they were. Juan Diego came into the room, unfolded his tilma, and let the flowers, which were still shining with dew, scatter to the floor. The bishop looked up and with tears in his eyes, fell to his knees, admiring the roses from his home country. But then all of a sudden, he perceived that on the tilma itself was a portrait of Our Lady. Mary's image was there, as though printed on the cloak. It was very beautiful and full of gentleness. Immediately the bishop's doubts were washed away and filled with hope and wonder. He took the tilma and the roses and placed them respectively in his private oratory. The next day he went with Juan Diego to the hill where the apparitions had taken place. And after having examined the site, he let the seer return to his uncle's house. And his uncle shared with him how he had been completely cured and that the cure had taken place at the very hour when Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego. And his uncle said to Juan Diego, I have also seen her. She even came here and talked to me. She wants a church to be built on Tepeyac Hill and wants her portrait to be called St. Mary of Guadalupe. But she didn't explain to me why. Now the name Guadalupe was well known by the Spanish because in Spain there's a very old sanctuary dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So the news of the miracle spread very quickly and in a very short time Juan Diego became well known. Mary had told him that I will spread your fame but she reminded Juan Diego to be as humble as ever. To make it easier to meditate on the image, the bishop had arranged that the tilma be transported to his cathedral. Then work was begun on the construction of a small church and a hermitage for Juan Diego on the Hill of the Apparitions. So on December 25th, the bishop consecrated his cathedral to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to thank her for all the favours with which she had blessed his diocese. Then in a magnificent procession, the miraculous image was carried to the sanctuary that had just been completed on Tepeyac Hill in line with Our Lady's request. To express their joy, the Indians shot arrows. However, one of them was shot carelessly, went through the throat of one of the participants in the procession and fell to the ground, fatally wounded. And a great silence fell over the crowd and people started to pray to Our Lady. And suddenly the wounded man, who had been placed at the foot of the miraculous image, collected himself, got up full of vigour. And so the crowd went crazy with enthusiasm and with joy. So Juan Diego moved into his little hermitage on top of the hill. There he looked after the maintenance and cleaning of the hermitage for the rest of his life. His life was very simple. He carefully farmed a field that was close to the sanctuary that had been made available to him. And the ever number of increasing pilgrims would come and visit and he would talk to them about Our Lady 
and entirely relating the details of the apparitions. And people would entrust him with all their prayers and intentions, and he always listened and sympathized and comforted the pilgrims. And he used to spend quite a bit of his day in contemplation before the image of Our Lady. And eventually he died on December 9, 1548, on the anniversary of the apparitions, 17 years after the first apparition. The Indians then learned who Our Lady was and learned about it through the apparition. And then they started to convert to Christianity like never before. They renounced their idols, their superstitions and human sacrifices and even their polygamy and became baptized Christians. Nine years after the apparition, they estimate nine million Indians had converted to the Christian faith. That's nearly 3,000 a day. And that was the grace poured out on the world through this Marian apparition. And the details of the image of Mary moved the Indians so deeply. Why? Because Our Lady appears with the sun behind her and the moon under her feet. And so what it says to the Indians was that this woman is greater than the sun god since she appears standing before the sun. She surpasses the moon god because the moon god is under her feet. But she is no longer of this world since she is surrounded by clouds and is held above the world by an angel. And her folded hands in front of her in prayer means that she is praying to someone greater than she. So this image is rich in symbolism. In fact, it's rich in wonder. It's a miraculous image. It truly is a miraculous image. So the tilma itself is like a large apron and it's woven by hand from cactus fibres. And it bears the holy image which is 1.43 metres tall. The virgin face is perfectly oval and is grey colour verging on pink. Her eyes have a profound expression of purity and gentleness. Her mouth seems to smile. A very beautiful face, similar to that of the native Indian. She is clad in a full tunic of pinkish red hue that no one has ever been able to reproduce. And that goes down to her feet. And her bluish-green mantle is edged with gold braid and studded with stars. The sun of various shades forms this magnificent backdrop with golden rays shining out. The fact that the tilma has remained perfectly preserved since 1531 to this day is inexplicable. After more than four centuries, this fabric of mediocre quality retains the same freshness and the same lively colour as when it was new. Just as a comparison, in the 18th century they made a copy of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It was painted, was done with great care, and it was kept in the same climatic conditions as the original one. However, within a few years it had completely deteriorated. In the beginning of the 20th century, you might be aware that Mexico went through a very painful period of revolutions. In one of those expressions of that revolution of the time, 
a load of dynamite was placed at the foot of the image in a vase of flowers. And when it went off, the explosion destroyed the marble steps on the main altar, the cantilabras, and all the flower holders. The marble altarpiece was broken into pieces, and a brass image of Jesus on the tabernacle was split in two. The windows in most of the houses near the basilica were broken, but the pane of glass that was protecting the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe was not even cracked, and the image itself was perfectly intact. In comparatively recent years, a lot of scientific study has been done on the image, and the results are just staggering to say the least. In 1936, an examination conducted on two fibres from the tilma, one red and the other yellow, led to an astounding finding that the fibres contained no colouring agent. So ophthalmology and optics confirmed the inexplicable nature of the image. It seems to be a slide projected onto the fabric. Closer analysis shows that there's no trace of drawing or sketch under the colour, even though perfectly recognisable retouches have been done on the original. The retouches have actually deteriorated with time, but not the original. No brushstrokes can be detected. And after an infrared analysis conducted on May 7, 1979, by a professor from NASA, he wrote the following. There is no way to explain the quality of the pigments used for the pink dress, the blue veil, the face and the hands, or the permanence of the colours, or the vividness of the colours after several centuries, during which they ordinarily should have deteriorated. Studying this image has been the most moving experience of my life. Now astronomers have observed that the stars that appear on the mantle of Our Lady's image reflect the exact configuration and positions that could be seen in the sky of Mexico on the very day that miracle happened, the 12th of December, 1531. And just going back again to the image, we mentioned earlier that nowhere on the tilma has there ever been discovered any paint or any sign of paint. But there's another amazing feature about this image. If you view the image from about 10 centimeters away, all the color disappears. All you can see are the cactus fibers of the material. Scientific studies have not been able to discover the origin of the coloration, nor the way the image was printed. They cannot detect any brush strokes or any known painting technique. The NASA scientists confirm that the paint material does not belong to any known element on Earth. Now when the material was examined under a laser ray, it was shown that there is no coloration on the front or the back of the cloth and that the colors hover at a distance of three hundredth of a millimetre over the cloth without actually touching it. The colours actually float above the actual surface of the tilma. 
1791, muriatic acid was accidentally spilt on the upper right side of the tilma. And during a period of 30 days, without any special treatment, the affected fabric reconstituted itself miraculously. We mentioned earlier about the eyes. Further studies on the eyes of Mary detected that when the eye is exposed to light, the retina contracts, and when the light is withdrawn, it returns to a diluted state, just as happens with the living eye. The temperature of the tilma comes from fibres of cactus, as we said, and it maintains a constant temperature of 37 degrees C, and that is the same of a living human body. One of the doctors reported that when he analysed the tilma, he placed his stethoscope below the black band at Mary's waist and heard rhythmic beats of 115 pulses per minute. That is the same of a baby in the maternal womb. So the image does indeed show Mary as pregnant. would appear she's about three months pregnant. And that's why the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is used so much in the pro-life movement throughout the world. Now just a little bit more about the eyes, because the detail in the eyes is absolutely amazing. Scientists have discovered that the eyes of Mary in the image have three reflective characteristics of a human eye. The eyes in the image are very small, about a centimetre. But if you look in the eyes under a microscope, you can see minuscule human figures that no artist could have ever painted. The same scene is repeated in each eye. So using digital technology, the images in the eyes were enlarged many times, revealing that each eye reflected the figure of the Indian Juan Diego upon opening his tilma in front of the bishop. Do you know how big the size of this scene is in the eye? One-fourth of a millimetre. So with Mary's presence and the miraculous image, she was able to evangelize nine million Indians to convert to the Catholic faith in just nine years. And today she continues to call us, to speak to us, especially to us today in our scientific age, the scientific discoveries that are now being revealed about the image, they marvel us even more. They touch our hearts. It's worth mentioning too that in the Indian language, Guadalupe means to crush the head of the serpent. And of course that links back to Genesis 3.15 where Mary will crush the head of the serpent. And the image also depicts a detail from the Apocalypse. Apocalypse 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet. So we see that the image is very scriptural. And Mary wears a black band at her waist, which to the Indian symbolizes pregnancy, to indicate that Jesus wants to be born in their hearts, and in our hearts still today. 
And one of the most beautiful things that Our Lady said to Juan Diego, My little child, let nothing afflict you. Do you not know that you are under my mantle? Am I not here who am your mother? So again, Our Lady calls us to trust her, to keep our eyes on her, because she will lead us to her son. She is our mother. She will protect us under her mantle, and the power of the underworld will be crushed beneath her feet. As we said, she is very relevant to our times. In this time of history, when we struggle to save the unborn, Mary comes to us, speaking silently, yet so strongly, through this image. Mary came to stop the slaughter of innocent people being offered to the Aztecs' gods. Today, she calls us again to recognize this atrocity of abortion and to call us to treasure life because it's sacred and to trust in her, in her intercession, that any unplanned pregnancy can be brought to fruition, revealing the fullness and richness of life, of joy and happiness that only an innocent newborn baby can give. We see the power of Mary to evangelize, and it's no different today. So then Pope John Paul II canonized Juan Diego on July 31, 2002. So let us pray to Juan Diego that he will continue to intercede for the Americas and indeed for the whole world, and especially that we may come to know and treasure the gift of human life. Every human life is a blessing, is a grace from God. That's what our church teaches. And so, dear Mother, we thank you for coming and speaking to us again in our own time with this message that you gave the world so long ago, yet so relevant to us this day. And through the eyes of science, may we come to believe even more in the power of your intercession. And dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you and bless you that you give us so many graces through your mother, through your saints, through your church, calling us to come back to you, to open our hearts, to love you, to praise you and to thank you. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. radio.org.au